Will you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 3? Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We will just pick up a a verse or two, and we will, in God willing, will be coming back to the chapter again. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. When Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they he knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Let's pray. Father, take your word and inscribe it on our hearts and imprint it upon our minds. We pray, Lord, that you would take your own word and use it for your own glory to exalt your Son and, Father, to build and encourage the faith of your people. Glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Peter and John go to the temple together. And this is after the cross. This is just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. They go together to to pray at the temple. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us the time It says, was the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. The ninth hour. This evening we want to look at the message of the ninth hour. Or the message of the ninth year in some cases, but the message of the ninth hour. The number nine speaks to us in relation of two things. One, the number nine speaks to us in relation to the judgment of God upon a Christless world, and the Christ rejecter. The number nine also speaks of the grace of God toward man to save man from this judgment and save man from God's holy and his justified wrath. The number nine is significant in dealing with the end of man and the sum of all man's works. And therefore, the number nine is the number of finality, and the number of divine judgment. If you were to take it in biblical numerology, the number eight speaks of a new beginning. Like the figure eight goes around and keeps going around, comes to no end, and always a new beginning. On the other side, the number 10 speaks of God's divine, perfect order of things. For example, there were 10 commandments, God's perfect order of things. 
It is said that when Israel were being brought out of the land of Egypt that night with the blood of, by the blood of the lamb, that the lamb was to be eaten whole. And it is said that, that ten people should be eating the lamb, given the idea of God's number of provision and God's number of, of, of governmental promises that he has perfected in it. We even will look at there were ten tribes in the northern kingdom who God would used to bring the gospel around this globe by following them with the message of the word. Ten is the number, but nine in between speaks of grace and judgment. For example, uh, example number one in Second Kings chapter 17. In verse one, we read this. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, Terrain in Samaria over Israel, nine, notice the number, nine years. Israel, as I've told you many times, had been separated, you'll read it in the scriptures, had been separated into two kingdoms. The northern ten tribe kingdom became known as the house of Israel. It became known as Joseph because of uh, Joseph, the, the son of of, of Jacob, Israel, became known as Ephraim because he took the banner name. It covered the ten tribe name of the northern kingdom. It became known as Samaria, as we have read here, because Samaria was their capital city. And also it became known as Israel or the house of Israel. The southern kingdom became known as the house of Judah, simply the house of Judah, and later became known as the Jews. Jews come from the name Judah. And so we read in 2 Kings 17 and verse 1 that this man Hosea, don't mix him up with the prophet Hosea now, Hosea the son of Elah was to reign in Samaria over Israel, that is the northern kingdom with their capital city of Samaria for nine years. 2 Kings 17 and verse 2 tells us, and he, that is Hosea, did that which was evil Notice the words, in the sight of the Lord. He did that which was evil in the sight of God's prophets. He did that which was evil in the sight of those who lived under him. And he caused them to do evil also. But nevertheless, it doesn't mention that. It says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then it goes on to say, in verse 6, in the ninth year, take note, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and Hebor by the rivers of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. This was the last king of the house of Israel and his reign ended in Samaria around 721 BC. The king that came here was a king called Shalmaneser, Shalmaneser, the great Assyrian Empire, came and started war with them over a period of time in 721 in Hosea's ninth year. Judgment came. Take note. As the ninth year, God finished the house of Israel. God finished Samaria, the capital city. God brought his wrath and his judgment upon the house of Israel and they were carried away captive with just little uh, what's known as gleanings of grapes and berries, it's known in scripture, which escaped it and ran south toward 
uh, the, the house of Judah or the land of Judah at the south. And they came and they took them away and they put them beyond these rivers. They never returned. The nation was destroyed as an independent entity, a nation. And they were, to, they were destroyed as their own independent nation. Their kingship line was destroyed because it wasn't God's kingship line. The one in Jerusalem was from the line of Judah. And these men had started this up through Jeroboam and so on. And the kings were all wicked the whole way down through the lines of these kings. God said he would send judgment, but before that he sent grace. Before that he sent the gospel. Before that he sent warning. Before that he told them to turn to him. Before that he says to them, if you don't get right with me, there's a judgment to be had. And they kept going on in their sin and on in their ways. And in the ninth year of the last king, the enemy came. Judgment fell. And we know that the house of Israel then went up over the Caucasus Mountains and across into Europe and populated Scandinavia, Europe, and our, our islands here today. Notice this. Notice this. The ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halach and Habor, the rivers of Gozan, the cities of the Medes. That's them gone 120 or so years later. Now take note of this. 120 or so years later is our example number two. Second Kings chapter 25 and verse 1 tells us of the reign and the destruction of the southern kingdom called the house of Judah. Again, where we get the name Jew from. And in that kingdom, the final king there was a king called Zedekiah. Again, don't get it mixed up with the prophet Zedekiah. It says, and it came to pass, notice, in the ninth year of his reign, that is Zedekiah's reign, in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth day of the month of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came he and all his hosts against Jerusalem, and he pitched there. He pitched at Jerusalem. And so there was a famine came because of they besieged in the ninth year of the last king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon came and he took over and he carried away the house of Judah and then Jerusalem. So the number nine is linked to God's final judgment. The number nine is linked to God's final judgment. Again, God sent prophets and God sent witnesses and God sent his word and the nation turned away and would not have anything to do with him. The siege lasted for two years And then, as I said, they were carried away. Man's ways, man's works, man's religion was finished. God judged it. The temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. The temple that was uh, uh, meant to be the temple of Jehovah, the temple of Yahweh, was completely destroyed by these people. And they took them all away. And you read of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You read of Ezekiel by the river Shebar. That's all in Babylon in their captivity. And that's where those writings come. Isn't God gracious that even in the furthest away place that you find yourself from him, that he knows where you are and can reach you? He promised them after the Jews that after 70 years, he would release them to come back to build the walls in the temple. You have Ezra and Nehemiah. And they come out and they build the temple and the walls and 
what we read then of the Lord Jesus, the line of Christ coming out of that line then. But of course, many came and took their Babylonian Talmudism and all of their rituals and placed it into the worship and it became mongrelized again. When Christ came, he, he says to the Pharisees, you're off your father, the devil. Most of you weren't even true Judaites. He says, your, your temple will be destroyed again when Christ comes. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that kill us the prophets and stone us them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thee together even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings and ye would not. Behold your house, your temple it is. Your house is left unto you desolate. And again it happened in AD 70 when Titus the Roman prince came and destroyed it and it said there was a million of them were di- either died or were crucified around the walls. Such devastation Such judgment at the man and the woman who turn away the grace of God for their lives. But here in ancient Judah, the ninth year of Zedekiah, the last king. The last king. In the ninth year again, God sends his judgment. They perverted the word of God. They claimed to represent the living God and they perverted the true worship of him in the temple. They did not witness as he demanded them to witness, to be a light unto the Gentiles or the nations, but rather they profess, but they did not possess. Something to be said about our land tonight. Something to be said about our nation tonight and the state of our church, mainline churches tonight, when now they are accepting and they are bringing in the the legislation, not in government, but in church, for gay marriage in certain denominations now. God will send a judgment. That's only one of many, and true worship has disappeared. We're no longer, we find that men and women really have the truth of Christ in their life. And here these men they and these women, they worshipped other gods. The Israelites before them, that is the house of Israel apostatized, apostatized. they worshipped other idols and statues and gold and silver. They made things with their own hands. They worshipped self. They were at ease with their national prosperity at the time and they were trusting in their own works, even their own self-righteousness. They were trusting in their own hands. And while they stood aloof from the truth and allowed the gods of the heathen to be brought in to their land and to overrun their Israel peoples, while they allowed them to come in and the gods of consumerism had risen up in the house of Israel in the northern kingdom, the gods of drunkenness came in. Listen to the prophet now, the prophet Hosea, not the king, the prophet Hosea speaking to the northern kingdom. The Lord says, I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is whoredom in Ephraim or whoredom in the northern house of Israel. There is whoredom in Ephraim. He said, Israel is defiled. The word for defiled there is Israel is polluted. You're polluted with false worship. You're polluted with heathen gods. You're polluted 
with the foreigner and all his rituals and all his ways and all his witchcraft. He says, you're polluted with drunkenness and you're polluted with debauchery. You're polluted with their sin. He says, you're polluted on the left hand and polluted on the right. He says, you're polluted through and through Israel and I will send a judgment. Britain, Israel, do you hear that? God will send fire and judgment if we do not throw out the pollution that's in our nation. Our nation is getting worse and worse. The heathen overrun. The tail is wagging the dog. Britain, the lion that was great, has lost its teeth. It has no more bite. And we are going to hell in a handcart, not heaven in a handbasket. Here we have the Lord saying, House of Israel, listen, turn to me. God's saying that even to a backsliding Christian. Is God saying that to someone in here tonight, into your own heart, deep into your own breast? Maybe you've went wayward in your own life and you put on the front and you put on the secrecy and you put on the church face and you put on the nice clothes on the Sunday morning or the Sunday evening. And is God saying to our hearts tonight, turn to me. Seek me and you shall live. Would you not turn? Would you not turn? Would you not turn to Christ? Here, we're told that these men and women in the house of Israel, they were defiled. In fact, Hosea the prophet, read the book of Hosea. It's one of my favorites. And you put Britain in there every time you read about than speaking to the northern kingdom and tell me if that's not our nation. You tell me if that's not what we're like today. And listen to what he says. He says, Ephraim is a cake not turned. You know what he means? We were at a barbecue yesterday with the youth and one of the burgers was cremated on one side and on the other. And some of us come in with a cremated face <laughs> and a cremated front Some of us come in completely raw and cremated to the back. We're neither one way nor the other. And in the church, we're neither neither hot nor cold. And it's not that Christ is saying, I want you to be cold or else I want you to be hot. That's not what it means. He means, I want you to be cold, to be refreshingly cold to people who are on fire and burning with desire for the things that aren't of me doesn't want you to be cold. People say, oh, Christ wants us to be either hot or cold. Yeah, cold and be refreshing to others and hot and on fire for him. He says, Ephraim is a cake not turned. Here's another one. He says, Ephraim is a silly dove without heart. Here's another one. What he says, he says, he says, woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. Britain has become a booze, drunken, drug addict culture. And God says, there's a ninth hour coming. There's a ninth hour coming. We always talk about the midnight hour. There's a ninth hour of judgment. Praise God that number eight's coming. There's a new beginning. And there's a judgment and a grace in number nine. But see in number 10, Christ is coming to set up his kingdom. There's going to be perfect divine order. Here we have 
these people in the house of Israel, aloof from the truth and allowed the gods of the heathen, the gods of consumerism and drunkenness and debauchery to swallow them up, to numb their minds, to blind their eyes and to dumb their senses. And men and women out here in our land tonight, they are blinded by the God of this world, lest the the gospel of Christ should shine into them. They should be saved. He's blinded the eyes of men and women. He's numbed the senses of God's own church. And the senses of God's own church says, well, sure, we're all going to heaven, and as long as I'm all right, Jack, and there's a lost and a dying world out there. And men will spend, even as our brother said and sang, men will spend eternity in eternal damnation and punishment. It is an horrible, an horrible, horrible thing to even try to comprehend. Here, In the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, they followed the ungodly government of an ungodly, wicked Zedekiah, their king leading them. We're told also, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. No matter where you go, no matter how far you run, no matter what you try, no matter the face we put on, God sees it all. He sees at all. Notice, God's warning gospel and grace was also preached to them, and as with their brethren in the northern kingdom around 120 or so years earlier, now they find themselves under the same curse in the same way with the same fate because they allowed the same to happen. Do you know what's happening to Ulster, so-called evangelical Ulster tonight? Do you want to know what's happening? Do you know where we first of all went wrong? I said it the other week, and I feel like I'm a parrot here, but I have to say it because I feel men are sitting silent tonight. I feel there's not too many willing to take their stand. I'll tell you what happened. As soon as Britain put men in that, that were bombers and men with guns and put them into government without them bowing the knee in repentance, that's when God started to send others into us. That's when it started to happen. There's no repentance of these men. They're standing on a shimmer and brazen fist in our television sets. And they're telling us what to do. God is still on the throne. Watched a, a, a news program of, of collusion on both sides. And it was ridiculous. The innocent people of, of both sides of the community. The innocent people who were slaughtered. And, and they were like, they're like sheep to a slaughter just to save others and to save face in some of those organizations. I'm going to go off on a tangent with one. One stands, he's a bomber, and he stands, he shoots a prison officer in the face. Prison face, yes, I did that. You know, he should have been executed. Put to death. Here we have Judah done the same, godless government. Our government is full, absolutely jam-packed full of Fabian Marxism, socialists wanting to bring us into a Europe to control your very mind. Get Britain out. Get Britain out. See the politically correct brigade. See all these lobbyists that come and the, you're not allowed now as a Christian to have a freedom of conscience. 
You're not allowed to say no to anyone. You're not allowed to have your own conscience. Martin Luther said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. We need to get our conscience captive to the word of God, brothers and sisters. Because as soon as we say something, and as soon as we go anywhere, you know what happens? Our conscience is captive to what other men say. And we stand back, and we sit down, and we shut up, and we say nothing. And God says, the ninth hour is coming. Preach the message. There's judgment coming to Britain. Wickedness. Vile, godless men and women parading our streets. Jeremiah 4, verse 1. The Lord says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. If thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove. The Lord says, there's judgment coming, but see if you get it right. If you turn to me, he says, I'll stay my hand. Brothers and sisters, hi. The faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Are we in this are we in this for prosperity? Are we in this for uh, what we can get out of it? Are we in this? Or are we in this because we have been saved by sovereign grace? We love the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the inspiration and the infallibility of His entire Word, and so we must have it prevalent in our lives and stand for the truth or not. I know. I'm aware. There's not too many pulpits you'll come to and hear that. If there is another one now, I'm aware of that. But John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. One assembly, one man, one woman, one voice, one preacher, and turn this nation around by the power of the Holy Ghost. And with the word of God. I know this has been tough. And hard to hear maybe for some. I'm not used to hearing these things. God has really stirred my spirit over this last while back. Saying we need someone to speak out. In Jeremiah 7 and 30, it says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to pollute it. There's the word again. The Lord says, Israel was polluted. Now, the house of Judah were polluted also. Listen to Proverbs 15 and verse 3. For the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. See all the evil we are hearing coming out? See all the evil that we're hearing on the, in the news or in the news bulletins? Uh, ecclesiastical evil. Governmental evil. See all that evil we're hearing? God knew all about it all along. Do you know what he's doing? He's just bringing it to the fore. 
He's bringing it to the fore. Proverbs 5 and 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth his goings. Ungodly government, reckless, spineless, godless religious leadership lead the people to their destruction. They are the blind leading the blind, and both will fall into the ditch. Religious leaders now are saying, let's ecumenize. Let's all get together. Clap each other in the back. Shake each other's hand. Let's love one another. Nothing wrong with loving people. Let's all worship together. Well, sure, you can go over there and you can get down to your rosaries and pray to Mary. And you can go over there and you can get down with your beats and pray to Allah. And you can go over here and you can go over into the willing wall and stick your note in the willing wall. When this book, Jesus says to the woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, he says, the Father seeketh them to worship him in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, listen. Some or many may be unconscious of God. They may be unconscious of his word, his ways, and may be uncaring of God. But he is always conscious of man. He is always conscious of you. Man's unconsciousness does not deter God's wrath. Did you hear that? Man's unconsciousness does not deter God's wrath. Man's unconsciousness does not defer God's determining for judgment. Man's unconsciousness does not distinguish God's holy fire. They can stick their head in the sand all alike. The government can stick their head in the sand all alike. The Anglican church can stick their head in the sand all alike. And they can be married to Rome and they can go and they can be married to Islam and they can go and they can marry men with men and women with women all they like. And so can some of the Presbyterians are doing it now. But I'll tell you one thing. It will not deter the judgment of God. In fact, it will only bring it upon us. Ignorance, brothers and sisters. Ignorance is not bliss but dangerous. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, the word says. I don't know the Lord at all. Puritan Thomas Manton said, whoever delays his repentance does in effect pawn his soul with the devil. Great Britain tonight, United States tonight, you may in effect Delay your repentance toward God. And for the laws that you've brought in, the silent holocaust of the abortion of little babies, the silent holocaust of murder of little ones in the womb, and the legislation of it, and you may bury your head in the sand, and you may take these monsters of pedophiles and rapists and murderers, and clap them on the back, and give them a year, or a month or two, or wherever it is, and set them free into society, and say, we must rebuild them into society. The word doesn't say you must rebuild them into society. The word says they must repent, and believe the gospel. They must repent. Thomas Fuller, the Puritan Thomas Fuller says, you cannot repent too soon, because you do not know how soon it may be too late. 
there anyone here who needs to repent? <laughs> Israel, then Judah left it too late. And judgment came. So Jeremiah 31, we'll not look at it, 31 verses 31 to 33, the Lord promises a new covenant to be made with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, because they're gone, they're broken it. And Hebrews chapter 8 speaks of it. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks of it too. What is this new covenant but the cross of Christ? That cross where Jesus bled and died and to wash away our sin. And he said he would write his law in our minds and in our hearts. He had imprinted upon us that we would no longer walk away from it, but would always be with us, with his Spirit indwelling us. And when his Spirit indwells us, the Spirit leads us back into the way again, speaking the law of God in our hearts, but living in the grace of God in our lives. Notice this. Matthew chapter 27. This is the third example, moving quickly. Matthew 27, verse 46 says, of our Savior hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying and writhing in agony, says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Notice the time, the ninth hour. This is the message of the ninth hour, brothers and sisters. This is the message. The message of the ninth hour is that God is going to pour out his wrath. The message of the ninth hour is there's still time for this nation of ours to repent and for every individual man and woman to turn to Christ and get saved, to be forgiven and born again and be ready for the kingdom of God. The message of the ninth hour is that Christ came and bled and died on the cross and he was separated from his Father, that which he had never experienced before. Why were you separated, Lord? He was separated that you may be reconciled. He was separated that you would not be separated forever, but that all that would come to him would be saved. Notice this. The ninth hour was signifying God's wrath again poured out, but not on Israel or Judah this time, and not even on you and I, but upon his son. Upon his son. And he cries, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Or why have you left me abandoned? Why have you abandoned me, Father? The ninth hour showed God separated from his son because of your sin and mine. That he would redeem us back to God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, But your sins have separated between you and your God And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The man and the woman who find themselves still in their sin at that day, standing before the judgment throne of God, will find that he will hide his face from you, as it were, because he will not listen, for it is too late for a man and a woman to be still in their sin. That's why he turned away from his beloved son. That's why he cried, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried it because you and I now can go before the Father, fully cleansed from all of our sin, justified in in his sight and righteous. The ninth hour was righteous judgment was meted out. Justice was satisfied. The penalty had been given and the price was paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Number four, Acts chapter 10 and verse 3. We're told Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He saw a vision to send men to Peter while he was fasting and praying at the ninth hour. We're told in verse 36. The word which came, the word which God sent to unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. That was the message that he was given. He is Lord of all. Peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. There's none other. Do you know there's only one way to heaven? There's only one way to the Savior. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Realize there's only one exclusive way to get to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And here was the only way. It was peace by Jesus Christ and none other. For he alone is Lord of all and none other. We cannot. We cannot take this glorious gospel. We cannot take this precious book. We cannot take this wonderful salvation. We cannot take the truth for no man's money. We cannot take it for no man's threats, no governmental threats. We cannot take it for what the law of the land would even say. We cannot take it and throw it out, nor forget about it. We can't twist it. We can't turn it. For even if we did, it still remains the same. Christ and Christ alone is the saviour of souls and the forgiver of sins. We can't change this even if we wanted. And so if we're going to stand for Christ, brother, if you're going to stand for Christ, sister, and persecution is coming to the Christians of our nation, we still have it easy here. We think of little evangelical Ulster. Eh? Every force and demon of hell is moving every force and demon and government and religious circles to pull this little province down. Every single one of them are against the gospel. Do you know when the Lord, before we go to Peter, when the Lord was sacrificed, the ninth hour, you know why? There was two sacrifices made during the day one at what we would call three o'clock, or, or sorry, the third hour, and one at the ninth hour, one at 9 a.m., and also one at 3 p.m. our time. So the, 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 the ninth hour was the last sacrifice of the day. This shows that Christ was the last sacrifice for all sin, the last lamb to be slain, because it wasn't a man's lamb, it was God's lamb. He was God's lamb, and he was slain. Now Peter is coming to preach God's lamb, to teach God's lamb. Acts chapter 3, we're told of Peter and John going to pray at the ninth hour in the temple. So we had Peter praying at the ninth hour and going to preach Christ. Then next we have Peter and John in our reading going at the ninth hour to pray in the temple. The disciples would witness for Christ. Why go to the temple? The temple is finished in AD 70. It's all going to be destroyed. Why go? Because they went according to a custom for one reason. They could go and show the power of God. The risen Christ. 
They could go and show the power of God and the risen Christ. And as with the two kingdoms, one of Israel and Judah in the past, so the remnant that was left, or these Jews, were being warned in judgment to come before God. He gave us space to repent. He sent his apostles even into the temple. He says the temple's going to be destroyed. Do you hear the word of God? The temple will be destroyed. Can you hear the word of God? Friend, judgment was coming, and it came in AD 70. They went at the ninth hour, but what did the ninth hour mean here? There was a man who was lame from his birth. There was a man who lay and could never walk, didn't know how to walk, was never taught to walk. And he came and he says, look at our reading in Acts chapter 3. And it says in verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Peter fastening his eyes upon him and said, look on us. Lord, how long has it been from the church of God and the church of Jesus Christ can say, look on us. People look on us now. It must seem like we're a powerless church. We're a church with no passion anymore. We're a church full of religion. We're a church full of denominationalism. We're a church full of infighting and backbiting. We're a church full of all sorts. We don't even know our own minds anymore. We're a church where, where, where are we in God? Are we not? Are we going to church? Are we not? Are we, are we on fire for Christ? Are we not? What are we? We don't even know ourselves. And that's the church people look on. And no longer can we say, look on us. Look on us. How far have we fallen? So he says, look on us. And he gave heed to them. Notice the man looked when there was something to look at. The man looked when there was something to look at. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something off them. There's a world out there, and we probably have disappointed them. They have expected to receive something from us. What do your workmates hear when you're in work? What do your workmates hear from your mouth or when you talk or, or, or maybe unsafe family members? Do they hear backbiting? Do they hear you, you know, talking about your brethren, your sisters? How wrong one is or the other is? Or what do they hear when you're around your dinner table? Is the pastor like the pig with the apple stuck on his mouth along the table? He's well chewed up and fed on every day. What does your family hear? What do your neighbors hear? What are they expecting? I have to close. Our sins were paid in full. Zedekiah, king of Judah, the ninth year, was taken away. Hosea, king of Israel, the ninth year, was taken away. Our sins were paid the ninth hour. Why hast thou forsaken me? Our sins were paid in full by Christ. I wonder, could this be the ninth hour for someone tonight? 
I want to finish by giving you just a little thought for two minutes. Look with me just down the chapter. Peter starts preaching because they're all amazed by this wonderful healing. Verse 13, Peter says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Notice this. Peter preaches Christ's crown because it's after Christ's cross. God hath glorified his son, Jesus. That's the crown. He's glorified him. That's the crown. Who ye delivered up, that was the cross. Notice again here, as we read on down. Verse 14 says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And through this, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. Notice. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. In other words, believe this. Here is what we need to do. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice, brothers and sisters, quickly, repent. It's mentioned five times in the book of Acts. I'll not tell you where they are. Here's the ninth hour message. Repent, he says, because God will send his son. Repent is the first one. The word repent gives the idea is to have respite. For example, when Pharaoh says to the Moses, pray to your God, and if God takes away the frogs, he says, I, I, I let the people go. And when he saw that it had happened, it says that he had, the word is respite. It's the same word here for refreshing as well. So we have repentance, we have refreshing or respite. We also have thirdly, that Peter says it will bring restitution of all things whenever the Lord will come. But what does that mean then? What the people thought of Christ. Notice in verse 13, they denied him. They delivered him up. And also we're told they desired a murderer. Wonder where our hearts are tonight. What's we, what would we do if we thought, well, we're in the presence of the king. Friend, I want to let you know something. You are in the presence of the king. You are in the presence of the king. Our nation, people need to repent. Change your mind. You'll receive refreshing, respite from all the things you carry because the times of restitution are coming when Christ breaks the clouds and sets up his kingdom. May God bless his word to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.